Thank you for joining me for another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Today, we're joined by Tammy Coron. Hey, Tammy, how you doing? I'm good, Leo. How are you? Good, good. Trying to stay warm. Uh, how about you? Well, thankfully, the weather has gotten a lot better over the last two days. Uh, I'm out in West Tennessee, and we saw more snow than I think I've ever seen since we've been here. And today, wow. yeah, today, finally, it's like 65 again. So all the snow is melted, but now everything is just like a muddy mess outside. But at least it's sunny. Yeah, yeah, same here. Uh, I'm in Michigan. We're obviously used to snow and cold and stuff, but it's a lot of slush, and a lot of puddles outside. So that's a different issue to deal with when you're trying to go for a walk. Right. <laughs> So I'll let you start off by introducing yourself. Sure. My name is Tammy Coron, and I am, you know, this is where I always stumble because I do so much that I don't know what I am. And I could say I'm an illustrator or I'm a developer or I'm an editor or I'm a managing editor or I am a game developer or an author. So over the years, I just, didn't really know how to introduce myself. So I decided from now on, I'm just going to call myself a creative professional because when I wake up in the morning, I just create and whatever that means, that's what it means, you know? So like today I woke up this morning and I started working on a game, you know, just coding the game. And yesterday I woke up and I created assets for the game. So I was playing an affinity designer. So that's, that's who I am. I don't really know. I don't really know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> who are you managing editor for? I am a managing editor for the Pragmatic Bookshelf. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. We definitely have heard of those books and that book series before. And you actually have a new book that came out recently. Is that right? I do. Apple Game Frameworks and Technologies. And I'd have to say that, you know, going back to who am I, you know, what do I do? I just, I love games. So I always wanted to write a book and I've, and I've written books before with, with other publishers, usually as a co-author. And I always kind of wanted to write my own book just as a solo author. And one of my favorite frameworks for game development is for the Apple platform. It's uh, called Sprite Kit. And that's what the book is about. It's, it's not just about SpriteKit. There's a lot of other game technologies and frameworks that Apple has for their platform. There's like GameKit, GamePlayKit, and a lot of people get those two confused because the names are so similar. Uh, in fact, you can use StoreKit too, which is not technically a game development framework, but if you're selling in-app purchases or things of that nature, uh, you would use StoreKit. So I threw a little bit of that in the book. And uh, yeah, so thanks for asking about the book. I've had a lot of fun writing it. And and again, I did all the assets in the book. I came up with the games in the book. And it was just, I had a lot of fun. And I hope to do it again, really. That's awesome. So this is your first solo book that you've written. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. With the Pragmatic Bookshelf. Yeah. So it's awesome that you're interested in game development. I have always been interested in game development, but never really... Every time I've gotten started, I feel like I've gotten kind of stuck either building assets or doing the programming or things like that. More often, you probably have run across Swift developers or developers in the Apple space who build 
business applications or productivity applications and things like that. At least it's been rare for me to run into other game developers. So it's really cool that we have you on. What would you tell the average developer why they should be interested in game development now? Well, I think it's really a matter of personal preference. And it's funny that you bring up business apps and and things of that nature. I I did so much development for different businesses where I always joke around. If I ever do another table view app, I'm just going to jump off of a bridge because (laughs) it's just so like, don't get me wrong. I know people really enjoy, you know, doing that type of development. And certainly as consumers, we enjoy using those types of applications but I had just done so much of it for so long that I just couldn't stomach it anymore. And I wanted to do more fun things. And I've always been a game developer. And I remember, kind of to swing back around, I was playing games when I was a, a kid. And I started programming when I was a kid. I, I wrote my first program. It was a game when I was like five or something. And it was on a TRS-80 And I was just hooked. I was hooked on games. And as the technology got better, the games got better. My coding didn't get any better. (laughs) (laughs) That that took a while before I was able to be proud of the code that I was writing. But just like most people, or at least in my experience, I just fell into the business type development. You know, first it was you know, basic or visual basic and C sharp or dot net and then objective C and some Ruby. And then, you know, obviously now into Swift. And I just got so bored of writing that type of stuff. I kind of wanted to go back to where I had fallen in love with code, you know, because as a kid, I love games. I love coding games. As an adult, I enjoyed coding, but then I started to really not like it. And I buried myself in just code line after code line after boring applications, you know? So I I said, no, I'm not doing this anymore. I just started going back to, to writing games and I, I sort of rekindled that love of coding. And now I'm, I'm just like on it all the time. I, I don't want to stop. So what I could suggest to people who are interested in wanting to learn how to code games is first you have to play some, you know, see what that, that player experience is that you enjoy and then try and, and shoot for that. You know, you have to understand with the differences between getting that game loop going and how your player will interact with the controls on the game or in the game or the player, or, you know, there's this whole design, like it's not like a business app where you could just open it up and, go to something that you want to read and click on it and the thing slides over. And now you're looking at a full page. It's more immersive. And that's not to say you can't have an immersive business app. You certainly can. There are certainly a lot of them out there. But for me, I just like games. And if you like games, I would recommend you go do it. Go just buy a book, look at a video, it, it, especially if you're a Swift developer and you really want to get into gaming, but you're not sure how, you know, you might have heard something called Unity and you're, you're tempted to go learn Unity and figure out how to do that because Unity's cross-platform. And I love Unity. I use Unity as well. But if you're just starting out as a game developer and you're a Swift developer, you might as well dip your toe into the shallow end 
and start with the built-in frameworks like SpryKit and SceneKit and, and things of that nature. And then if you run into a situation that you want to bring a certain feature into your game and, and you're finding that you're not able to do that with you know the frameworks that Apple provides, then go out and, and learn you know, bigger and badder frameworks, as they say, you know, Unity, for example, or even Unreal. But for just starting out, and if you've never coded games before, absolutely stick with uh, the, the uh, native frameworks for Apple. Now, if you, if you plan to do cross-platform, then you can't use Apple frameworks. You'd have to use something like Unity. Hey folks, I want to let you know about Swift Heroes Digital 2021, happening this year, Friday, April 16th. Swift Heroes Digital is a one-day event for developers, designers, and project managers at all levels of experience with the Swift platform. This year, not only will I be speaking on Swift packages, dependency management of the future, but previous guests like Donnie Walls will be talking about core data, as well as Vincent Perday will be talking more about async await. You'll definitely want to check this conference out. For listeners of the show, you can use the special discount code in the show notes to get 20% off your ticket. That's right. Use the discount code in the show notes to get 20% off your Swift Heroes ticket for Swift Heroes Digital 2021. These tickets not only include on-the-day live presentations, but continued on-demand access after the event. So if there's any questions you have about any of the talks, you'll definitely want to get a ticket so you can ask those questions live for the presenters. Check out the agenda at swiftheroes.com to see the schedule and learn more about what events and talks are going on. Again, use the discount code to get 20% off your Swift Heroes ticket. Thank you, Swift Heroes, for inviting me to speak at this exciting event. And I'm looking forward to talking as well as listening to the other speakers at Swift Heroes Digital 2021. Now, Unity is a that's C sharp based, right? Yeah, it's it's a scripting. Okay, you mentioned something about the game loop. What are some big differences between developing a game and developing just a standard app? I know you mentioned the game loop, but what else is there? Well, you have to understand what the game loop is before you can start to really use it to your benefit or to your advantage when you're writing games. So the game loop is something that runs every frame. It's running that loop. It's basically going and calling that. And you try and get your game to run 60 frames per second. So you would like for that loop to to constantly run. And you don't want it to be bogged down with unnecessary hardcore coding. So you really have to think about how are you going to structure your game around that? How are you going to make sure that you're not putting so much wear and tear on things that, you know, it just, it goes from 60 frames per second down to 30 frames per second, because then you're going to have lag. You're going to have things that skip. And that loop, while you want it to always run as fast as it can, it does sometimes not run at a consistent speed. For example, if you have a timer going and you set the timer to count down based on how often that loop runs, and you just do some straight coding, and just do like a timing minus one or whatever. And uh, let's say it runs and then it, it kind of skips. Now that timing is going to be off. So you'd have to do some delta timing where you'd have to say, all right, when did I run this update the last time? When am I running it this time? Now I can base it off of that delta time. 
So it gets really complicated. But at the same time, especially with something like SpriteKit, you know, for, for the Apple game frameworks, you don't have to worry about that too much because they have these actions that you can use, SpriteKit actions, with one of their classes. So it kind of does a little bit for you. So you don't have to, back in the day, so to speak, if you had a little sprite, a little node or whatever on the screen, and you wanted to move that little character from the left side of the screen to the right side of the screen, you'd have to move them each frame that, that the, the loop is running. You would say, okay, he was here. I'm going to see when that loop went off. I'm going to check the delta time and I'm going to do some math and he's going to move smoothly across the screen. And, you know, you you had to think about these things. You had to understand that. And you still do. But with these bracket actions, for example, all you have to do, and you don't have to even touch the game loop, the update loop, is say, I want to move this little character from the left side to the right side using an action and it handles it for you, right? And it makes it nice and smooth for you. And it was funny because when I started doing development for Apple, not the company, but for the platform, I always wanted to do the games. And at the time, this is years and years ago, the popular option to, to write games for the Apple platform was to use Cocos 2D. And I was always intimidated by that. And I never got into game development on the Apple platform because of it. And I didn't really explode into this game developer for the Apple platforms until SpriteKit came out. And I think it was like 2014 or something that it came out. It just took away that whole feeling of, I can't do this because it's too math heavy. It's too complicated. It, it, there's just so much about math and stuff I don't understand. And now it's just like, I don't have to worry about any of that. So you just mentioned going from Cocos 2D to Swift and SpriteKit. What's kind of your history with game development? Because I know you mentioned developing on the TRS-80. What else have you developed on? Well, that's a that's a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's been it's been such a a long time. You know, I I've done it on as I said the TRS-80 using Basic. I've created games for BlackBerry using I think it was Java. And uh, C Sharp for Microsoft products, and then then there was a bunch of Flash games that that I made when when I I, I wrote a children's book and and self published that a long 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 time ago, and at the time I didn't know Flash or or Action Script, and I was like I really want to put games on the website for the kids to play so. I figured out how to use Flash, how to write action script, and I made all these really fun games. And uh, it goes back to my point where if if there's something you want to do, let's say you're not a developer at all, let's say you're a manager in, in a warehouse somewhere and you like to play games or you want to learn how to code and you've never done it before, that doesn't matter. You know, just get a book, watch a video, and and if, if you have enough interest in it, chances are you'll be able to pick it up and learn it. It's funny you mentioned uh, Flash and C-Sharp. So I've done a little bit of C-Sharp uh, in game development. It wasn't DirectX. It was uh, 
uh, OpenGL, actually. And then my master's degree was in digital media and art technology. And we did a little bit of game development in Flash. And I don't know if you recall, uh, Macromedia Director as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm kind of familiar with that that way of looking at things. So it's interesting. I dabbled a little bit in Coco Studio, but I'm in the same boat where it was just like it was way too overwhelming for me to to get started. But I never I never jumped back into it when it comes to Swift. But now we have these two frameworks, primarily SpriteKit and SceneKit, right? What's the differences between these two? So SpriteKit is their 2D based gaming framework, and SceneKit is their 3D based gaming framework. And I'll be honest with you, I love Apple game frameworks. I, I do. That's, like I said, my favorite of all the frameworks of every language I've ever used on any platform I've ever played with. SpriteKit is my favorite, hands down, 100%. SceneKit, on the other hand, and I'm a big Apple fangirl. I love Apple, but I do not really care for their SceneKit. When it comes to any type of 3D game development, at least for me, that's when I run over to Unity. Remember I was saying before, if you sit down and you start playing with the frameworks and you're making games and you run into a situation that you know the framework isn't capable of doing what you want it to do, I run into that a lot with SceneKit. And it's not that it's a bad framework, because it's not. Like It's pretty darn powerful and you can do a lot with it. But I find that I can do a lot more with Unity in the 3D world than I can with SceneKit in the 3D world. But when it comes to SpriteKit in the 2D world, and I get this argument a lot, not so much an argument, but this comment a lot, well, why wouldn't you just use Unity? Unity is so powerful and Unity is so good and Unity is cross-platform. I said, yeah, it is all of those things. And if I were doing cross-platform gaming, I might use Unity, but in terms of powerful and streamlined and performance, when you're working on Apple platform only, you're, you might want to consider sticking with the native technologies because the performance is just so much better. And I have yet to run into any situations where I can't do something in my game using SpriteKit. It's like everything I need to do, I'm able to do. But that's not to say that someone might have a bigger imagination than I do, and they might want it to do, you know, X, Y, Z, and P, and I've never tried that, and then they do, and it doesn't work. Then, you know, run off and, and check out something else. But for me, Sprite Kit all the way. <laughs> Can you tell I'm a big fan? <laughs> <laughs> so you said, you keep saying Apple platforms. Uh, what platforms have you developed on besides, I guess, maybe macOS, iOS? So macOS, iOS, tvOS, watchOS, all of that, it, it's all compatible. You can. How does the landscape look as far as game development for like tvOS or watchOS? Well, okay, I have a confession to make. I'm not a big fan of watchOS. I got watchOS and, and the watch, the Apple Watch, like, the first or second one that came out or whatever. And I used it for like a day. And I said, this is not for me. I don't like anything on my wrist. I found it like a year or two later underneath my desk, underneath a pile of cat hair and dust. So <laughs> now that's not to say that the Apple Watch 
is a terrible piece of equipment and you can't do anything with it. I People think I'm nuts when I say I don't like the Apple Watch. But some of the games that I've seen come out there, and, I, and I've developed some as well, nothing published, mostly just playing around to see what it can do. You know, it, it's pretty neat. Like, yeah, you're limited to what you can do because you only have that little dial on the side. But if you're playing a fishing game or something, you know, you can use that little dial to drop your line and, and pull up your line and, you know, fish fly by on the bottom and you try and catch the fish or something, you know. So it's it's pretty fun. And with uh, TVOS, I actually co-authored a book on TVOS. I think for that book, though, I think I had to do like a business app. So I was a little cringing <laughs> because it was like <laughs> a little businessy. But I mean, think about it, like having a game that you can play on your iPad, on your on your iPhone, to some degree on your watch, and then shoot that up to your to your Apple TV on the big screen. I mean, that is just that's divine. Hey, folks, I want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by App Figures. Do you want to get your app features in the App Store? This is probably the best kept secret. There's a simple and straightforward form that Apple provides where you can submit your app for review to get featured. Get tips like these, as well as best practices and mobile industry highlights straight to your inbox by signing up for AppFigures' weekly newsletter at appfigures.com newsletter. Then head to appfigures.com to try AppFigures for free. If you like it, both new and existing users can use special code MPOWER3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. Again, thank you, AppFigures, for sponsoring our show. And head to appfigures.com to try AppFigures for free. Use the special code to let them know that we sent you and get 30% off for the next three months. Thank you, AppFigures, for sponsoring our show. So... TVOS, like, can you build something like a console game? Have you dealt with, like, control working with controllers and things like that? <laughs> it's funny that you say controllers. A uh, project that I'm working on now covers every single controller that you can attach to your iOS or, or Apple TV from keyboard oh, cool. and mice. Okay. Yeah, because just this year, well, I guess technically last year, 2020, they announced at WWDC that they have brought mouse and keyboard support for gaming into the iPad. And I was like, well, that's cool. So, of course, I needed to go off and, and play with all the new stuff. And the project that I'm working on now is just uh, teaching people how to use all the different types of controllers. You know, how do, how do, you, how do you get the, the mouse input and then translate that into some usable form for your, your game on the iPad? Or how do you, you know, hook up to the keyboard? How do you, how do you know how to move the character or tilt and pan the camera or whatever you need to do? In fact, my son, poor kid, I keep stealing his, uh, his wireless controller because I'm like, I need that. <laughs> I need to test something. <laughs> <laughs> so um, have you worked with some of this stuff alongside like UIKit or SwiftUI? Or do you typically just when you build a game, you only use uh, SpriteKit and SceneKit for the UI? Well, one of the very first games that I did for, I think it was just for the iPhone, it was written entirely using UIKit. And it was kind of fun because I don't think SpriteKit was around at that time. And I think I really wanted to make a game. And like I said, I wasn't going to learn Cocos 2D because I felt threatened and overwhelmed by it. 
So I used UIKit and I was able to put together a really fun game. I know other developers who have award-winning games. They don't use SpriteKit. They use UIKit to do it. They use other frameworks, other native frameworks to do it. Um, in terms of combining them, yeah, they combine really nicely. You can, in fact, again, they just uh, released in 2020 um, the the SpriteKit uh, view, and I can't remember the actual class name, but essentially it's the uh, Swift UI version of the SpriteKit view. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, I've played with it. It's pretty neat. <laughs> Right, and you would just plug that into whatever view you're using and then go on. Okay, very cool. So what games are you playing right now? I just, I got to look at my phone here because I I kept going on and off of the Apple Arcade because when it first started, I was like, yeah, these these games are kind of neat, but not what I'm, I'm into. But now they've added so much more. So I've got all of you. I got Starfetched. I've been playing that. One of my favorites is uh, Inmost. That's also an Apple Arcade game. Um, what else do I have on here? My kids keep wanting me to play Among Us, but I can't. I can't get into it. I know that's like a big thing, and everybody plays it, but I just can't do it. Uh, what else? <laughs> Any console games? No, no, I'm not a big console game player. I used to be, and okay. I mean, when I when I was playing console games, I was playing like. Um, Snowboarders. I don't know if you remember Snowboarders. I was playing mm-hmm. Mafia. That was a good Fable. Oh my gosh, Fable was one of my favorite games, and Gears of War was a favorite of mine. Okay, um, but no, ever ever since I think the last the last game I really got invested in on the console was Fable. If that okay. tells you how long ago it's been, but I used to love it because you. When did that in. came out? Twenty ten. Did it? Has it been that now? My age is showing. But yeah, I mean, oh my gosh, it was such a great game because you could. Okay, here's the thing. That game and and games like it, you're able to live the story. Your 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 character is a direct result of the choices that you make. And I think that kind of storytelling in a game is absolutely amazing. You know, and again, why do I like games? Why do I like developing games? Because I love doing creative stuff. I love to be able to write stories. I love to be able to tell stories. I love to be able to make really neat looking art. I love to be able to take that, put it all together and mash up some code and make it work. You know, maybe it doesn't work great, but I like to make it work. I do my best to make it work great, right? But Fable and... Do you want to know what year it came out? Yeah, maybe. (laughs) 2001. Oh my goodness. Really? What is it like 2020, 20 years? Yeah. 2004 actually was the first. Yeah. 2004, I should say. Oh my goodness. That's a, I know. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, I I, got me talking about games. It might be difficult to get me to stop now. (laughs) One of the first ever games I played was uh, lunar lander. It was also on the TRS 80. And that really was when I was hooked on games like to move that little spaceship and crash it all the time. And then boom, it would just show up and I could do it again. And then that, that progressed over to one of my favorite game developers and and, uh, publishers, uh, Sierra. They just, their games were amazing. They're point and click adventure games. And going back to, you know, some people thinking that Sprite kit isn't powerful enough to, 
do stuff like that. I wrote an entire uh, game engine using Sprite Kit to create, you know, tap and, and click adventure gear, point and tap. I don't even know what you'd call it since it's on the on the uh, on the phones. But yeah, it it's so powerful, and that those that's, uh, that's the adventure fun. kit, right? Yeah, that's the adventure game kit. Game kit, yeah, cool. One thing I was going to ask is one of the things I get overwhelmed with when I want to create a game is the programming I can do, but I have to create a bunch of artwork with it. What's the best way for someone like me who's not, who's okay at art, but not really like, I enjoy it, but I wouldn't say I'm good at it to get started building a game without having to worry about that aspect so much. Well, there's a couple ways that you can handle it. I mean, you could just be like, this is my art and this is my style and this is my creative outlet and boom, it it is what it is. That's kind of how I am with my stuff. Like I don't make the best art on the planet, but I, it's fun. I I enjoy it. Some people like it. Some people like, oh, that's awful. Uh, You could, you could do that or you could use what we call programmer art. And that's just either the same thing or very rudimentary uh, shapes, basic shapes like circles or squares or rectangles or whatever to identify the different parts of the game, different characters. And then from there, you could either hire an artist, which can get a little bit tricky because, you know, you have to make sure you you know what you're getting, you know what you're paying for. You They have an understanding of the assets that you need. And then, of course, there's the route that many, many, many people take where they just go out and they get royalty-free assets. You know, they, they go to a site like, uh, I don't even know half of them now anymore, but uh, you know, just, just put it in Google, do Google search, you know, like royalty-free game assets, and you'll come up with a number of different sites. Uh, one, of the, one of the guys, he's sort of a friend of mine, Justin Dyke from Cartoon Smart, he makes beautiful assets. He, he sells a bunch of assets, and he's got a, an entire marketplace where he he sells assets with other developers and and designers. Yeah. It seems like you have a lot of experience with game development that involves and a lot of projects, actually. Um, You did a really great talk at 360 iDev a couple of years ago, and I'll provide a link to the show notes about managing multiple projects. What are some tips you have for the managers out there dealing with multiple projects all the time? Yeah, that that's a big one. Um, because I love to do so many different things. And I also seem to have this ability where I can't say no to anything. (laughs) 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 I tend to fill up my schedule sometimes a little too much. And I've been a little bit better with managing my time and, and finding my voice where I can say no. And that talk, it sort of was cooked up because in 2016, I ran a my very first developer conference in Nashville, Indie Dev Stock, and I was still working with a lot of different clients at the time. So I was doing this whole conference thing. I never knew anything about how to run a conference, and that was a lot of work. And I'm doing all this other work, and I just got burnt out. I just just hit burnout, and that's when I started to dislike development. I didn't like to do anything that had anything to do with coding or anything really. And it was a really bad spin out. And part of the problem was because I wasn't able to manage all of the different things that I had going on. But what I do now is I rely heavily, maybe too much so, on Trello. If I have my projects on a Trello board, and sometimes I have 
you know, a big board with all of my projects. Sometimes I have a smaller board with a single project so that I can manage that. It really depends on the client or the project or whatever. So I use that. I use uh, Google Calendar and whatnot and Siri. If Siri doesn't, she's probably going to say something now. I'll turn her off over there. (laughs) If she doesn't tell me where I'm supposed to be, when I'm supposed to be, I'm not going to be there. You know, Uh, it's a terrible Mm -hmm. thing to say, but it, it is true. So I rely on that and I rely on taking breaks. Okay. I never did that. I just, you know, work, 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 work. And it's not that I didn't enjoy it. And that's sort of the problem when you enjoy your work too much, that becomes who you are. So I try and take breaks. I go out and I play with my dogs. I'll I'll take a walk or I'll just simply pet the cat or have a conversation with my husband or one of my kids. So that's kind of what I do. To, to manage things. And here's another tip. Always communicate what's going on. So if someone says to you, hey, where's that thing I asked you for? Maybe it feels terrible to turn around and say, oh my goodness, I completely forgot. Let me get on that now. Or I, I, you know, I know you made a request and I'll get to it as soon as possible. You know, don't leave people hanging. Don't, don't, you have to set expectations, right? If, if someone says to you, can you get me this thing? Let them know whether you can or cannot, and then let them know how long it will be, you know, to just be honest and, and then add some extra time to it. Cause <laughs> that was the biggest problem. I, oh, I, I could do that in an hour, you know, three hours later, I'm done. So always try and plan for the worst and hope for the best. Yeah, no, that's a really good way of putting it. So I was going to ask, we recently put out an article about remote work and all the challenges with that. And I, I usually tell folks, you got to keep people in the loop as far as what's going on. So I'm really glad you made that point. Because uh, with like remote work, I think that's a big issue is just keeping that constant communication. Has there been any big challenges that you've had to deal with over the last year with remote work and, and the pandemic and everything? Or has it been just business as usual? I wouldn't say that it's been business as usual, but I've been a remote worker now for a better part of 10 or more years. So it's kind of no change for me in that regard. You know, I'm still working at the same desk. I'm still using the same remote tools. But I have noticed that business has changed in the sense, you know, what people are spending their money on what their priorities are, where where they want to be. You know, it's, it's really given me and, and a lot of people I know an ability to sort of step back and think about what's important. For me, it's, it's spending more time with my family because you just don't know, you know. And uh, so I've, I've kind of moved my work area out to where everyone else is. And sure, it gets kind of loud <laughs> and it's, it's a little <laughs> difficult to concentrate sometimes, uh, but it's nice. And my older son, he moved back home because of everything going on. And with him, he brought his girlfriend, their best friend and their cat. So we've got a, a lot of people here. And it, it, like I said, it does get kind of loud in, in the living room, which is where I work now. But I don't think I would change it for anything. It's sort of the same, but it's also very different. And, and that's okay. You know, life, life throws curveballs and you just got to duck 
or get hit and then, you know, wipe yourself off when you get up. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Tammy, for coming on the show. Uh, Where can people find you online? You can find me at uh, Tammy Coron, T-A-M-M-Y-C-O-R-O-N.com. That's my website. You can also check out my business website at Just Write Code. That's J-U-S-T-W-R-I-T-C-O-D-E dot net. And you occasionally find me on Twitter. My handle is at Paradox927, although I have been uh, tweeting a lot less these days because social media is just filled with hate and nastiness that I don't really want to be a part of anymore. <laughs> I totally understand. Do you have any games in the app store by any chance? Uh, I do. I've got, I think there's at least one because I, I believe I put it up there for the uh, for the book. In fact, it's one of the games you learn how to build that that you can check it out, uh, you know, through the book. Uh, but the name of the game is Gloop Drop, and you'll find it under the business Just Right Code. Awesome. And we'll have links to all that in the show notes as well. People can find me on Twitter at LeoGDN. The name of my business is Bright Digit. I'd love you to take some time, post a review in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, or Spotify, if you could. And love to hear your feedback. If there's anything you have questions about, uh, questions for the guests or the topics we talked about, please let me know. Thank you for joining us for another great episode. And I look forward to talking to you again. Bye.